Welcome to another episode of Tulsa Time with Bishop Condrela. We've been talking about the Eucharist over the last couple of weeks, and I thought we'd talk a little bit about something very unique to Catholicism, um, something that maybe people don't know anything about, mm -hmm. um, which is adoration. Sure, Eucharistic uh, adoration. Eucharistic adoration, yeah. Uh, I remember the first time I, I gave a talk on the Eucharistic adoration one time. I gave the whole talk, 35 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, is there any questions? And a guy raised his hand and said, yeah, uh, what is Eucharistic adoration? And I'm like, man, I just swung, talk about a swing and a miss on my part. I just kind of assumed that yeah, everybody knew what Eucharistic adoration was. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's an important, um, that story is an important lesson about everything that has to do with evangelization because it is easy for us as Catholics who get excited about our rosaries and our scapulars and our uh, Latin Vulgate Bibles and our Eucharistic adoration and all the Catholic jargon and things to forget that if a person has not yet met Jesus in a way that changes their life, that if they have not had that initial encounter with the living Lord, the Lord who they can now engage in a personal relationship with, if they haven't had that, all these other things are going to seem disconnected. They seem like a bunch of rules and a bunch of things that we must do or something. Um, and so our, our task, if we want to term it that way, our goal for ourselves and for every person is to make sure that first we are meeting the Lord, that we are knowing the Lord, that we are falling in love with the Lord, then all these other things make sense because they're organically connected to him and to that relationship. But adoration is, is a fascinating aspect of our worship because it's the most natural extension if you think about it. The, the, uh, the Lord rises, he is with the disciples for 40 days, I'm sorry, he, he rises from the dead with the disciples for 40 days, then he ascends to the Father in heaven. Now they begin the Catholic life, the Catholic faith, the Catholic Church. They have been commissioned by him to be his body, the church. And so now they're starting to live what he has given to them. And they're celebrating the Eucharist. We see that in the Acts of the Apostles. They're, they're um, saying the prayers and breaking the bread. Okay. But they're naturally thinking because they're, they're leaving some of the Eucharist reserved behind for the widows and the homebound so that they can take this most special, special gift to them. But it's occurring to them, wait a minute, this is not bread. This is the body of Jesus Christ. Should it not be treated with some greater reverence with some some greater way of recognizing what it is the special nature of what it is and if i'm here with this i'm with him in a very real way in a sacramental way and can i not worship and adore him in this which he has given to me and out of that arises over the course of time what we now have as Eucharistic adoration, which is a very, very uh, widely beloved um, form of prayer and worship of the Lord for Catholics in particular. It comes from the Eucharist 
and it orients us back to the Eucharist. We talked uh, last time about the, the two moments of the Catholic's life during Mass and then as their living life waiting to get back to Mass. And so adoration plays its role in that time of waiting to get back to Mass, a way of extending the presence with the Lord. Now, we're going to have a little show and tell today. All right. All so right. we've brought a monstrance and a Luna. Some to, more inside Catholic inside baseball. Right. So <laughs> when we talk about Eucharistic adoration, we're talking about a particular way of worshiping the Lord in his Eucharistic presence. And the way we do that is with this device, which is called a Luna. It's basically a glass case, a case, a little box that has glass on two sides in which a host can fit so that you can take a host that has been consecrated at Mass so that now it has become the body of Christ, place it in the Luna, close it up, and then the Luna with its glass front and back is designed to fit into this device, which is called a monstrance. You've seen these at your church. The monstrance, the word, comes from monstrate, to show. Uh, we use the word in English, demonstrate, to show. The monstrance is a device designed to show, to let people see the, the uh, host, the consecrated host, in the luna. The luna slips into the monstrance, it fits into a little groove right here, which holds it upright. The door closes, it's turned towards the faithful, and then they're able to see through the glass uh, into the, the uh, consecrated host, Christ present there. And once in the presence of Christ in the Eucharist, now this is, this is the fullest way, in a sense, in terms of using a monstrance, but any time a person walks into the church and there's the tabernacle with the red vigil lamp lit, they're in the presence of Christ, his Eucharistic presence is there, except on Good Friday. Good Friday. Um, I barely, <laughs> impromptu Catholic quiz, and I, I, I got it. All right. Passed. <laughs> Except on Good Friday when the tabernacle is empty because the host has been moved to a place of reservation until Easter Saturday. So um, adoration being a particular form of prayer, what do we do in adoration? Literally, uh, to use the story that I think is told by St. John Marie Vianney. He, he saw the old man sitting in the church. He's sitting there for a long time. He asked the old man, what are you doing? And the old man said, I look at him, he looks at me. That's the prayer of adoration. I come into the presence of Christ in order to look at him and to have him look at me. All I want out of that moment is to just be in his presence. It's a real wasting of time wasting with our Lord. Of time, right? I, I, I get a somebody told me this one time. You know, when somebody is dating, they're dating and they go out to dinner. They're talking, they're getting to know each other. That you know, it's just back and forth, twenty-one questions, or you know, however they they're just constantly talking back and forth. The table right next next to them is an old married couple who've been married for 50, 60 years, and you see them, and they're not talking at all mm -hmm. because. They're just enjoying each other's presence. And this is kind of the similar, like, similar thing of 
like adoration, right? They know each other well enough that they don't need to ask a lot of questions. They don't need to know a lot of information. Now, of course, you can do lots of things in adoration. It is simply the case, and and I I warned all of us before, I left my phone somewhere, about the tendency of our technology. It's one of the things to guard against with our technology is that it tends to cause our brain to be trained to think in smaller and smaller and smaller increments of time, and then we get bored. So that, you know, if a person scrolls on Facebook too much, pretty soon they can't stand anything that takes longer than a minute, which is why no one is watching this anymore. It's over, <laughs> we've gone past five minutes. But the, the kind of prayer and adoration can be spending time, it could be an hour or two hours, it could be any length of time a person has, saying nothing, thinking nothing, satisfied just to be in the presence, but it could also be that a person's mind wanders too much. When they try to do that, they sit there and they find themselves just so distracted. They might bring the Bible. Catholics, like everyone, need to read their Bible. That's a wonderful way to uh, spend time in adoration. A journal, I know lots of people who love to journal, uh, to write about what God is doing in their life and in their relationships during adoration. Uh, Books of spiritual reading, a rosary to pray, Uh, Some people do devotions like the Stations of the Cross in the church and so on and so forth. So there's uh, no end to the kinds of things that people can do. But if they are bored, that doesn't mean necessarily that they're doing it wrong or that they should be discouraged, right? Yeah, that's a really important thing that that, uh, people need to understand. People, if we judge our prayer, so so here's the way to think of it. Uh, How many people love to do things they're not good at? Nobody. We don't like to do things that we're not good at. We like to do things that we're good at. But none of us is perfect at prayer. Most of us are not even very good at prayer. Mm -hmm. We're not that good at praying. And so if we judge our prayer to be not good enough somehow, we were distracted, we were tired, we were hungry, whatever the thing. Um, If we judge our prayer, we're always going to judge it harshly, and then we're not going to want to do it. No wonder we don't want to pray. If instead we let go of all of that, the Holy Spirit prays in us, so St. Paul tells us, with groanings beyond our ability to understand. If we trust in that and simply give God the time, come and sit in His presence and do the best we can to stay focused on Him, when we find ourselves distracted, don't have any Um, bad thoughts about that or judging ourselves about that or anything else, simply move back to focus. Uh, Here's an image that helps, is to think of yourself sitting on the side of a river. Of course, this is going to make people distracted. Uh, (laughs) But at other times than adoration, think of yourself sitting on the side of a river and you're looking at the water and the water's flowing by. And you're letting the water just flow by. But every now and then a log floats by and it catches your eye and you follow it. When you realize you're following the log, let go and just go back to watching the water flow by and don't have any thought about that at all. It doesn't matter. Uh, If gnats are buzzing around your face and you ignore them, then they don't bother you very much. Mm -hmm. It's the when you get frustrated that there's gnats buzzing around my face, then they really bother you. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. So 
also I think there's a sense of awe and wonder that in adoration that helps people maybe silence some of these worries and concerns. You know, uh, Cardinal Seurat says, you know, that God speaks in silence mm-hmm. um, to the point where you, you get to know Christ to where you, you are just silent in his presence. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, I think, a unique part of prayer of, of your prayer life, at least in, in my experience when I have been in adoration, of being able to take myself out of, of where I am and, and look look beyond myself, mm-hmm. I guess. Right. Yeah, I think that's an important part of any of our prayer is it's not primarily about us. It's primarily right. about Him and our relationship with Him. Yeah, so do you uh, encourage, what about for families? Is it, because I know I bring family, my family in and my my kids have not got to the point of levitating yet. They're not at the <laughs> levitating stage of prayer, of their prayer life, you know. So we're still at the um, making sure that we can sit still for for three minutes. Well, uh-huh. they are getting air. Yeah, yeah <laughs> by jumping and yeah, stuff like that. Jumping. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you encourage families to go, or is this something that only people who have who can be quiet for a long period of time go? Well, it it is it is true that when we have children, it's not. A problem that the the fact that children are uh, busy and uh, and uh, antsy is not a problem with the children. That's their nature. Right. But adoration is the kind of prayer in most settings where it is helped by some silence. And so, yes, it would be best if uh, parents are if they're bringing children that they bring them for some period of time, but when the children are feeling anxious or uh, rambunctious, feel free to step out. If if you can see the monsters from a cry room or something like that, by all means, that's another way to extend the time. Um, but don't, what, what would be counterproductive would be to get on the children and force them to sit still and everybody's losing their peace at that point everybody gets frustrated <laughs> and the children feel frustrated right. then they don't want to go to adoration right uh, so bring them let them experience it for some period of time and over time that may extend yeah. but at the beginning it may not be that much and a lot of parishes are actually uh, hosting uh, family adoration hours now where they're encouraging you to bring your, your kids all together so that way um, if there is a little bit of chaos uh, yeah. Now, see, that's that's excellent. I like that idea. I had not heard that, but that's a brilliant idea because then the people who are there know that this is what we're coming there for. Right. And so then you're not put out by the fact that uh, there's a lot of noise with the children. Yeah. Right. So a couple, as we wrap up here, a couple things, a, little, a couple tips I think that have been helpful in, in, in our house is uh, to plan ahead when we're going to adoration, right? Mm-hmm. Kids thrive on routines. The kids thrive on knowing what they're going to do. My, my sons are always like, what are we doing next? What are we doing next? What are we doing tomorrow? It's like, we're, I just told you what we're doing. You know, like you're <laughs> not worried about tomorrow yet. You know, so they thrive on routine knowing that, oh, okay, Wednesday's at three o'clock. That's when we go to adoration. That's our adoration hour. Right. You know, so they thrive on routine. So planning ahead, I think is, is really, is, is a big key. Also, just plan, start small. Mm-hmm. Like, don't, don't think you have to go for a full hour, mm-hmm. right? You know, so maybe, maybe it's only five minutes. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's 10 minutes. But children learn to be quiet mm-hmm. in those situations to where n- then they can also be quiet in mass. They learn, they mm-hmm. learn 
to be quiet outside of mass and then they apply that in mass. Mm -hmm. So you provide them with opportunities to learn to be silent, to learn to, to be in a prayerful state. Right. Um, I wonder if you could connect them with like things to color. Could they make a monstrance at right. home? Could, yeah. they, could they build out of Play-Doh right. a host or something so right. that they can connect what they do with what's going on? Yeah, and, and the last one I, is like, remember that Jesus calls the, the children to come to him. Mm -hmm. And so right before we walk into adoration, I look at my kids and I'll, I'll say, Jesus has been waiting for 2,000 years for this moment to be with you. Mm, brilliant. And that gets them all excited, like, oh my goodness, Jesus has been waiting for me to yeah. do this. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of sets the tone for them sure. and gets them excited. So those are just a couple of tips that awesome. have come, uh, been beneficial for our family. Awesome. The wisdom of parents. Yes. <laughs> but this is uh, Tulsa Time with Bishop Conrella. Tune in next week. Like and subscribe to our podcast. Uh, give us a thumbs up on our YouTube channel. Uh, look forward to seeing you next week.